Good morning. Two scriptures, Romans 13, 12, and John 9, 4. Here we go. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. John 9, 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Let's pray. Lord, would you open up our hearts today to your heart? Could we see what you see? Could we feel what you feel? Lord, this is, will be a very easy message to understand in our minds, but we must, we must catch your heart. Pour out your spirit, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here we've got two verses that are in contradiction in the Bible. One says, it's, it's, it's night now, and the day is coming, and we should put on the deeds of day because day is almost here. The other one says just the opposite. It says that we're in day right now and night is coming when no man can work. So which is it? Are we in day or are we in night? Is night coming or is day coming? How can both be true? Well, it depends which group you're in. Both are absolutely true, but it depends which group you're in. Because if you are a Christian, right now is the only hell you're going to experience. Right, right now, it, it's, it, it's still night, hell still, you see darkness, you see deception, you see difficulty, you see pain, you see suffering, it's here, hell is doing its thing, but day is here too. God is here and God says, this time of night where hell gets to do what it wants to do is almost over. And, and, and day is coming and there will be no more pain and no more suffering and beauty and It'll be absolutely wonderful for all eternity. But if you're in the other group, if you're in the unbelieving group, doing your own thing, standing against God, then this this is the only heaven you're going to ever see. Night is coming. Night is, is the time of judgment. And Jesus says, when that time comes, No more work can be done. We have to work while it's day because when the night comes, when that final judgment comes, it is too late. This part of human history, of human existence, is ending with both a wedding and a funeral. There's going to be a glorious wedding where Jesus marries the church and it's going to be way better and more incredible than anything you can even come up with. And it will, it will be our entrance into all eternity. But the Bible could not be more clear. It's also a funeral. There will be, Jesus will have to say goodbye to the people that he died for. David, when Absalom died, David, David said, oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, would that I had died instead of you. But Jesus is gonna say, my, my son, my daughter, I did die instead of you. This is the worst tragedy that could ever happen. So I wanna talk today 
on the topic, the power of a volunteer. And first, the first point is the urgency of the harvest. So this story, 13 Lives, it's a movie. It's one of the very, very few movies that it's exactly how it happened. They, they were careful. They, everything that's in that movie actually happened that way. Usually they say based on a true story, and what they mean is loosely based on a true story. This is an exception. This is like they were very, very careful with the details. There was a soccer team in Thailand in 2018. They got done with practice. There are 12 kids and their assistant coach, and they decided to go to the, the tourist cave. Well, that cave is closed two weeks later for the year because of the monsoon season in Thailand. And, but they go in and they start going back and back and back and back and they don't realize that while they are in there, the monsoons start early. The rain starts coming. The, the fl- caves start getting flooded and they are stuck in there. They're stuck two and a half miles into the cave. They were all supposed to be at a birthday party. So the, the parents went to the field looking for them when they didn't come. And then somebody found one of their bikes and all of their bikes were at the entrance to this cave. And they knew, oh my, these kids are, they're, they're trapped. And so the very next day, the alert went out that we, we have to get these kids out somehow. And it's a story of 13 lives. Now, the thing is, is because of the monsoon rains that are pouring down, the urgency to get them out is it, it has to be right now. We have to organize. We don't have time for, uh, to mess around. If, if we don't get them, Soon, they will die. Nothing can be sure. Those, those caves flood up completely. All of the kids and their coach will die if we don't get them soon. There is an urgency. And so a call goes out all over the world, and experts have to come in. Over 10,000 volunteers end up coming, soldiers, divers. It, 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 just an incredible outpouring to get these kids and save these lives. So the urgency for the eternal, we're not dealing with just lives, we're dealing with now eternal lives. Here's what Jesus said, John 4, 34 and 35. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I tell you, Raise your eyes and observe the fields, that they are white for harvest. Jesus said that he was here to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work. His work is the work of redemption. The night is coming when nobody can work. We must, while it's still day, while there is still time, we must join the Father in his great work of redemption. The Bible tells us that this life 
is like a vapor. It's like one breath. When you look at it, this whole life compared to eternity, it goes just like this. And what is uh, riding, uh, the, the, the stakes are eternal life. Jesus came to bring eternal life to fallen, broken humanity. And without that eternal life, people will be separated from God and will go to hell. They will be apart from God for all eternity. So he says, you guys say four months and then the harvest. He said, open up your eyes. The harvest is all around you. Now here, the the context is this. He has told them, I have to go through Samaria. They don't, he doesn't explain why, but he has to go through Samaria. Jews usually go around, and he has met this woman at a well. She is there at noon, which is not when people get water because of the shame of her, her, her lifestyle. She has been married five times. She's currently living with somebody, and Jesus comes and says, if you knew who I was and what the gift of God is, you'd ask me. And I would give you living water that you would not thirst anymore. And he ends up revealing to her that he, that he is the Christ, and she believes it and, and is excited. And the, and the disciples had gone to the town to get food, and they come back, and they see it, and they're marveling that he's talking to this woman. They're like, this isn't God's type. She's, she's Samaritan. She, so they just see her. They see her through their prejudice. She's Samaritan, so that's, that's bad. She's immoral, that's bad. She's a woman, that's bad. This isn't, nothing here makes sense. And Jesus said, this is why you guys can't see the harvest. You, you have underestimated the love of God for every human being. You have underestimated the value of every soul. When God sees people, he doesn't see their, just their failures and mistakes and, and addictions and brokenness. He sees the thirst that was driving it. He sees the people are in the dark and they're trying to find a way and find something that satisfies something. And, and, and in that, they get into all kinds of messes. But it doesn't change God's love for them, and it doesn't plan his, change his plan for them. God wants people to be saved. That's point one, the urgency of the harvest. Point two is this, the sacrifice of a volunteer. So day one, the call goes out. We need to get these these kids out of here, but it's not going to be easy. There are the, the seals in Thailand come, but the, these are this is not just underwater diving. This is, this is cave diving, and it's really, really dangerous. And so they send for these professional cave divers from England who immediately come, and they, they start looking for these kids, and, and they, they go way into the cave. On day nine, they have still not seen the kid. The kids are way back in the cave, two and a half miles. They are in complete darkness. They are drinking rainwater. The rains are just pouring 24-7, and they are drinking rainwater off of the, the cave walls. They are Eat. The only food they have are snacks that they had brought for the birthday party, but those, those were out soon. No one sees the kids. 
until day 10. These professional cave divers go through, they find them, they see their life. There is one kid that speaks English that can, that can communicate with them. So they come back out to make the plan to, to get to them. Well, here is the problem. They brought in um, pumps to, to pump the water out so that, the, so that the, the caves don't overflow with water, but they can't stay up with it. Water is coming down the mountain and rushing into the cave. So this engineer comes from Illinois, and he's got a plan to divert water. It's a, it's a complex piping plan to divert the water that is coming down the mountains. And, but there's a problem. The surrounding farmers will lose all of their crop because that's where the water is going to go. It's going to take out their entire crop. So he gets together with the farmers and asks them, are you willing to lose this year's crop? And the farmers come together and say, these kids are worth it. And so the farmers actually help him make the piping system that is going to take away their harvest. Incredible. One of the Navy SEALs from Thailand, it's not just the caves, the water in the caves, it's the current, and one of the divers um, dies. The movie is actually dedicated to the one, to one that died. Sacrifices. The sacrifice of a volunteer. So it turns out that Jesus was the first volunteer. Look at John 10, 18. Jesus says, no one takes it, speaking of his life, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The command of the father even though the father's the one that planned redemption, this is what it would look like if you want to save humanity. But the command of the father was not you have to do this. It was, it will be your choice. You can take your life up. You can lay it down. It's up to you. Jesus is well aware of this option. You, you see it in Matthew 26 when the soldiers come out to take him and Peter cuts off the ear of the, the high priest's servant and Jesus turns to him and says these words. Peter, put the sword away. I know it looks like they're taking, they're not taking me. I could say one word to the father, one word, and he would send 12 legions of angels to rescue me. Did you know there's 6,000 in a legion? So one word, 72,000 angels here. Peter, put the sword away. We don't need the sword. They aren't, they aren't taking me, Peter. I, I'm laying my life down. God insisted that his son be free, be a volunteer. So Jesus, Jesus is the first volunteer. The plan to save the 13 was made and executed by just a few. Here was the plan. These kids are all non-swimmers, 11 to 17. If they are awake, they will panic and they will drown. So how are we going to get them out without them panicking? It, they cannot swim out. They can't be part of the swimming. They will take the person trying to get them out down with them. So what they come up with is this plan had never been tried before. 
One of, one of the cave divers is a, is a medical doctor and his, his area is anesthesia. And so they decide that they are going to put these kids under. They're gonna give them a shot, they're gonna make them unconscious, and they're gonna tie their arms behind their back with zip cords. And the kids can have absolutely no role in their own salvation, except letting them save them. They have to, they have to, and legally, they have to get the kids' permission before they, they put this shot because no one's tried it before. It's a four-hour journey to get out, and no one knows whether the kids will make it that long. It's, it's extremely dangerous, and the only reason they do it is because if they do nothing, it's 100% guaranteed they will all die. So this, let's try it. So they, they go in. They go in and... With each kid, they, they say, will, will you trust me? And they, they put the shot in, tie them up, and then they guide them through the caves. Miraculously, all 13 were saved. And I'm, and I'm really sorry to ruin the movie for you. Um, so here's the plan. The human race, on its own, would die in their sins. The soul that sins dies. The holiness of God requires that heaven can't have sinners in it. That immoral, unholy people could never save themselves. They could not get back to God by themselves. So the Father made a plan, and here's the plan. That the second person in the, the Trinity the son would come and take on human flesh. He would come into our history. And he would, as a human being, live a perfect life, keep all of God's laws, not just outwardly, but inwardly. It would take God himself to do this. And then he would give himself in place of the human race. And God's judgment on sin would come on him, and he would, the Lamb of God, would take away the sins of the world. And then in his resurrection, when the Father accepts that sacrifice for sin, that sacrifice that allows redemption of all human beings, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit back into the world to execute this plan. So the Holy Spirit comes, and we always say Jesus knocks. Is it Jesus or is it the Holy Spirit? Which is it? The Holy Spirit is the representative of Jesus. Jesus said, whatever he hears, he will speak. I will speak to him, he will speak to you. He is going to take what is mine, and he's going to make it real to you. So the Holy Spirit is in the world right now. And he's Jesus' representative, and he comes, and he shows people their hopelessness without Christ, that they're sinners, that they're condemned, that they're unholy. There's so much proof, guys, that we are sinners. <laughs> there's, there's just, there's so much proof. Even our righteous deeds are tainted and we've got agendas and we've got, and so the Holy Spirit comes and helps us see ourselves and see the trouble that we're in. And then the Holy Spirit, he convicts the world of sin, it says, that they have not believed in Jesus. 
He shows them Jesus and knocks at the door and says, here's the salvation plan. You take all of your trust out of yourself. Rest in Christ. Put your, put your arms behind your back. Let me get a zip cord on them. You have no part in your own salvation. Let Jesus save you. That's the plan. Listen to it. This is, this is from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The plan God made for salvation strikes against human pride, human ability, human self-righteousness, and says, this work of salvation you need to trust me to do through you. I, can for, I will forgive you up front, and then the Holy Spirit will guide you through these caves, and on the other side, you will be saved, not just for time, but for all eternity. This is where assurance comes. Assurance of salvation comes not because I think I'm good or that I'm going to be good. It is because it's not about me. Assurance comes because, oh, it's about how good Jesus is. It's about how good his sacrifice was. It's about how complete it is. That's how forgiveness comes. Forgiveness comes through he already paid the price. His forgiveness comes through justice. God's already judged my sin. And I'm putting my trust not in myself, but in Christ who died on my behalf. So that was the plan. Jesus came as the first volunteer. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to volunteer. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As those who have been dearly loved, as those who have become beloved children, we've been adopted into the family of God. Now it is our time in response to this love for us, Jesus gave an example of giving himself of volunteering his life, giving what he had for the sake of the Father, but for the sake of the world. And this was a fragrant offering to God, pleasing to God. And now it's our turn to give that response, that volunteer response. So Jesus feels compassion for the harvest. This is in Matthew 9, 36. Because they're, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, and he feels compassion. And he, he turns to his disciples and he said, the, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Father that he would raise up workers for this harvest. Why is there, why are there so few workers? Here's why. <laughs> Glad you asked. God will, refuses to draft people. You don't wake up and you've been drafted in, into the, into the, to the work of the kingdom. He doesn't work that way. You have to volunteer. He only takes volunteers. He insists on it. Psalm 110, verse 3, your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm, but it's, it's one of the most quoted 
Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament, and the reason why is because this specific psalm is about this time, not about the millennium. It's not about when Messiah is on his earthly throne and righteousness fills the earth and the lion lays with the lamb. Those are all coming, but that's not what this one is. This one, he's not on his throne. He said, the father says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You are going to, right now, rule in the midst of your enemies. This is God ruling while darkness is still here, while darkness is still raging. Jesus is going to rule in the midst of his enemies. During the millennium, there won't be any enemies. He will rule in righteousness and all enemies will already have been defeated. This is this time and during this time, he says this, in the day of your power, your people are going to freely Volunteer. Those who have experienced your power, the power of his forgiveness, the power of his grace, the power of his love, they're going to say, sign me up. He only takes volunteers. Isaiah has this revelation of God and of the holiness of God. And he says, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm dwelling among a people of unclean lips. I am ruined. And the angel says, Hold on, that's not what this revelation is about. He said, God has made atonement for your sin. And your sin is forgiven. And he takes a coal from the altar and puts it on Isaiah's lips. And then in this encounter, Isaiah hears a voice come from the throne of God. And it's this, who will go for me? He's looking for volunteers. And Isaiah says, and this is the most all of us can say, here am I, send me. Here am I, take my life, take my treasure, take my resources, take my time, take whatever talents I have, send me wherever you want to send me. I, I will go for you, I will go with you, I will go in your name for your glory. Now, our situation, so 10,000 people come from all over the world to help these people, they don't even know. These people are just trapped, they're kids, everybody's got kids of their own, so they have compassion, they wanna help, so they come from all over the place to help. Now, we're different than them. Now let me tell you how we're different than those 10,000 that came. We were the 13. We were the ones in darkness. We were the ones trapped, we were the ones stuck. Jesus came for us, but not just Jesus, the church, people preached to us. People held church services. People, I don't know how you got saved, but somehow people were involved in getting the gospel to you. And you came out of that cave. You got saved. You're one of the 13 that came out of darkness and into the light. What an amazing story. And so, so they, you, you, get out of, uh, you get out of the darkness and you're so happy to be in the light and you're so healed in the light and you're so grateful for the light and thank God I'm going to heaven, I've got a great future and, and, God's, and here's what God's saying. There's still people in the cave. There's still people in the darkness. And, and, and I'm looking for volunteers to go back into the darkness and help find them. I need volunteers to join my heart and my compassion. I do love you. I'm so grateful that you're saved. I, I came to save you, but now I, need, now I need you to work for me. I need you to join me because there is a harvest that needs to come in 
And if it doesn't, they will die. They will be separated forever. That's the stakes. All right, point three, the gifts of the volunteers. So 10,000, what were they doing? How could there possibly have been jobs for 10,000 people? Well, let me tell you. So soldiers come from, every, from 17 countries. Divers come. Hospital personnel come. How it's, it, one thing is getting them out, and then it's going to be how do we bring them back to life after they've been traumatized and, and all of this stuff. And so, so people are coming. They, they have to feed the kids while they're in there. So once they find them in 10 days, the, the first groups of divers are taking them food. And so somebody's making that food. And then you got all these volunteers that are around the cave. Somebody's got to feed all these volunteers. So people are making meals everywhere. Every, everybody wants to be involved. Everybody wants to help in the great cause. So we've got the, the engineer and the farmers doing their thing and diverting this water. We've got people with the pumps and getting the pumps going and keeping the pumps going. We've got food and, and care, and then once these kids come out, and only the professional diver can, can bring them out, but once they get out, there's a whole group of people ready. They load them up in the, in the emergency medical vehicle. They rush them to the hospital. They have them all quarantined in the hospital because they have to nurse them back to health, and there's just people everywhere helping restore these kids. This is, folks, this is a picture of the church. This is the picture of what God wants for his church. Caleb uh, Miller, two weeks ago, preached on connecting with one another, and he talked about Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go, go into, the, into the whole nation, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. Baptize them in the name of the Father, teach them everything, to obey everything, baptize them, I will be with you to the end of the age. And he said the typical American reads that, and when they hear go, they think Jesus is talking to them personally. Like each person needs to, is now responsible to go into the whole world, and that we're all individually going into the whole world. And he's like, no, this is plural. He's talking to his Disciples as a group, you guys go together with your various gifts, with your various anointings. Some of you can speak, some of you can serve, some, and, and your various geographies. Some of you are going to go this way, that way, that way, but together reach the whole world. And this is, this is, this is what the church is. I need you and you need me. I, I think of, I was just making a list of just Sunday morning. Not all the volunteers that do all this mercy stuff and mission stuff and small group stuff. Just, just Sunday morning. Did you know there's over 50 volunteers every Sunday morning here just for us to have church? We've got the children's workers in both services, both in kids' church. Then we have nursery workers, and we come up here, and we've got, we've got greeters. We've got ushers. We've got welcome center people. We've got people that were here very early making coffee for you, praise God. And then there's another group that cleans up the coffee. And um, then we've got these worship people. You know what time these worship people get here on Sunday morning? They have to do both services. We have an hour and a half between, or an, a full hour between services. So they're here early and they stay late. And our tech people do the same thing. All of our tech people, and our tech people don't just make it good for us. They make it 
so that it can be streamed, so that it can be seen everywhere. Amazing. When the service is done, there are prayer teams that will be up here ministering. There are freedom teams that minister between services. It's just amazing. I'm so grateful, not just that the work gets done, but the way they do it, it's amazing. The joy, I try to thank people whenever I can. Thanks for serving, thanks for, and people will say back to me, it's, it's my joy, it's a privilege. There is amazing volunteers at this church. All right, I want our worship team to come up. We're gonna have communion in just a second, but I wanna tell one last story. This is a guy who, 62 years old and an agnostic. You know that the older people get, it's the harder to save them because you get more and more stuck. The easiest people to get saved are children and 18, 18 and under. If you don't come to Christ when you're 18 and under, it gets harder and harder the older you get. So this guy, 62-year-old agnostic, so he is the brother of some friends that live in Madison, and she told us the whole story this last week, and he said, he said, this is a testimony. This is a testimony that should be told. So I feel like I have his permission, and she also gave me permission to tell the story. So here's, here's what happened. This just happened in the last two weeks. So this guy, 62 years old, he lives out in Arizona. He's got one brother he's been very, very close to, the closest sibling to him. That brother lives in Kentucky. He found out that his brother in Kentucky, who is a Christian and had been praying for him for years, got a tumor on his brain. And it was very, very serious. It was like imminent. They didn't know if they could do anything. Chances are very likely in this scenario that death is coming very soon. And so he immediately gets on a plane and on his way over, he tells the story. He prayed, God, if you will heal my brother, if you will bring him through this surgery, I will believe in you. So he gets there, and this brother with the tumor is part of this church. Him and his wife are part of this church. And the church, he just sees the church everywhere. The church is there praying. The pastor's there praying. And people are bringing meals to the home. And this is just a community of love. They, they are not going through this alone. The church is going through it with them. And so the doctor comes out of surgery. And he says, he says I, honestly, he says, I don't really know what to say. He said, this is a miracle. He said, we go in. He said, I've seen this before. The tumor, while we were in there, just kind of fell off. <laughs> he, said, he said, the, prog the prognosis for complete healing is really, really good. And so this guy who had prayed on, on the flight over, he decided to give his life to Christ. And he told his, he, he told his sister, he said, it wasn't, it wasn't just the miracle. He said, I saw the church in action. Did you know that this is what Jesus said about the church? He said, by your love for one another, the world will see it and know that the gospel's true. He said, I saw the church in action. He hadn't seen the church in action before. 
And he saw the church in action combined with God doing something intimate. And I'm not saying you should make a deal with God. God, if you do that, I'll I'm not saying make a deal with God. But I am saying this guy did. And God, in his goodness, saved this guy. And one more is in the kingdom. Come on. <laughs> 